We're going to be reading this morning, beginning in verse uh, 28 of uh, chapter 2, and right into chapter 3 and up to verse 10. So just follow along. It'll be on the screen here as well for you to read. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right has been born of him. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, he will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. The word of the Lord. Kyer, come and unpack this teaching for us this morning. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Norb. I don't have anything to zing back at you, and, and Tina's not here even to, to uh, make jokes about it, so we'll do, deal with that some other time. Uh, well, it's, it's my privilege to, uh, to be invited to the pulpit again, uh, following Pastor Ken and Pastor Norb as they've been working through this series, and then uh, Corey Anderson as well did an excellent job with, with his portion, and Sid Page, I'm sure, who will be doing it in a couple weeks, will do a great job, and uh, it's always a privilege to... Uh, to be able to, to uh, be put in the midst of such great people and, and work with them. Uh, in fact, after Pastor Norb spoke last week on his passage, I thought, yeah, I'm going to have to take it up a couple notches here to try and measure up. Uh, we'll see. It's not really about me. Uh, and speaking of which, um, I know I'm not the pastor of the church here, so I can't tell you what to do, but just just a reminder that this is a relaxed time together. I know sometimes when the the preacher ascends to the pulpit. We all must be silent and listen. Uh, just let me encourage you to relax. You want to grab a coffee, grab a coffee. Uh, I won't point you out more than twice if you go, um, so you'll be fine. But just uh, relax. Uh, this is a, a family time together. Uh, and welcome those who are, are visiting with us and uh, just hope you feel a part of what we're doing here. Wow, that was quite the passage that uh, Pastor Norb read. And as I read that over and thought, wow, they gave me a good one, didn't they? You know. Not just a whole range of stuff, but uh, some pretty strong statements in there. Um, and just, you know, noting that, the first two verses, which were the, 
uh, 28 and 29 of, of uh, chapter 2. Uh, there's discussion on how those fit in. Are they end of the last one? Are they begin of the next one? It's often thought that they're just essentially that you've got to transition between those two. As you move into chapter 3, it's transitioning actually from a, the first part of the letter into the second part. For those of you who have made every one of these, uh, the series started, was it October or November when we started? In October, yeah. We're still working through it. Uh, for those of you who have been through every one of those, we're, we're at the halfway point. So yay. Um, it's actually great to be able to work through a, a text like this. And at the same time, I'm not going to cover nearly what could be covered in this passage. And that's been the case all the way along. So there's always so much more in God's Word to, uh, to talk about. But I, w- I want to focus on um, you know, this writing as a letter um, and talk a little bit about that. So having been a pastor and having served as a teacher, when I look at a passage like this, to be quite honest, my first reaction is, oh great, there's so much stuff there that could be taken out of context and, and, and misused. And I don't think that because I'm imagining what could happen, but in my experience, I've talked and listened and watched uh, people misuse passages like this one. Uh, that comes across very strong, and so you get people running around going, you're a child of the devil, you know, and someone else going, oh, you sinned, you're no longer of God. And what do you do with that? Because that's what the passage said. And uh, and how do you work with that? Well, one of the, the ways we, we do to start with, and this has been this has been covered as we've, as we've gone through, but for, for some of you, you're here the first time, and, and you've got no context to what it is we're looking at. And for some of us, we also could probably use a refresher. Um... So one of the reasons um, <coughs> that well, I want to talk about this as a letter is to understand uh, what its writing is about. <clears throat> the Bible is made up of all kinds of different writings, and it's very helpful, actually, and uh, important that when we read it, we think about what it is we're reading. As we switch, say, between the Psalms, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll, you'll, you'll know that's poetry, and so we don't read that the same way as we do other portions of the letter, or of, of the, the book. And when we get to a letter, it's the same thing. Um, this is a letter, and there's, a, there's an image there. I don't know how many of you have seen something like this. Have you ever seen uh, something signed, Sincerely Yours? I don't know that we ever use that on, on uh, you know, Facebook or email. Well, email's old, but whatever it is that's the newest thing, you know. Um, have, you ever received a, have you received a personal letter lately? A handwritten letter from someone? Uh, for a lot of people, it's actually quite a great thing rather than some typed up, you know, with your name inserted, you know, insert name here and it's just put in there, dear Tyre, I'm so happy I can talk to you. I want to sell you something. Or, you know, usually that's what you, what you get. Um, so it's a letter. And as a letter, you know, if you receive a letter that's addressed to you, dear, and insert your name there, but actually it's just not a, a generic letter, but it's written, handwritten to you, um, it's particular to you. And that's what we're looking at. We're actually peeking at a letter written by, uh, what have we been calling them? Grandpa John, Papa John. Uh, it's a great, great way to think of the writer of this letter, um, of John as, as, a, as a grandpa or a, uh, you know, a Papa giving us advice and encouraging us. Um, but it's a letter that is, uh, deals with a specific situation. So he's writing to a group of churches because something has happened and he wants to help them out with it. He needs to give them some instruction on it. And when we, if we keep that in mind, that's so helpful. Realize we're, we're peeking at someone else's writing here. We're looking at a, at a personal 
although it's to a group of people, but it's, it's personal and that it's dealing with their situation. And knowing that is helpful. And so I just want to do a quick refresher on what are some of the things that are contextual to this. What is it that, that he's writing about? What's going on? So as I know, it's written to a group of churches in an, Asia, in, in an area in what, what was known as Asia Minor, but in Turkey. Uh, and we, we are showing a map. I don't have one today. But it, it's, a, it, it's a small geographical area, but it's written to a number of churches in a number of different cities, not one church in one city. And this group of people had recently been devastated uh, by a mass evacuation, not just from one church, but from multiple churches. Uh, whether it happened all at the same time, I doubt it. Probably one group left, and then another one left, and they all um, left. But these were people who were close friends. Don't imagine, even here, I know, for some of us, we put names on at the brunch line, and you, you find out who people are. But the churches were not that large, and they met in homes, so the number of people who could gather there was limited. And you got to know each other fairly close. These were people you had in your home on a regular basis, if you imagine it that way. And all across these home churches, we don't know how many, but people left from them. Uh, and they were close friends, perhaps even family members. And it, was a, it wasn't just that they left and said, you know, we're, we're going you know, to expand. But rather, there was a huge tension and fight that had been going on. And when they left, those who remained began to question themselves. Uh, they were deeply saddened. They were torn. They were wrestling with their own beliefs. Were we right? Should we have, should we have fought with them about this stuff? Uh, did we cause this? We don't know what their questions were because the letter writer doesn't tell us. Uh, maybe they even said things like, how could God let this happen? Uh, you know, and they're, they're torn apart. They're shredded on the inside. Uh, their friends, those close to them, have abandoned them. And, and perhaps in there the thinking was, well, maybe we should be going too. Maybe, maybe they're right and we're wrong. How do we know? Who are we to say that we know uh, these things? And whatever the questions were, they'd been shaken right to their core. Uh, you ever experienced something like that? You ever have an experience in life? Uh, maybe some of you aren't old enough yet to have been through it. But once you've lived a little while, there are things that you experience as you go along that shake you to your core. And you need some time and perhaps you need to go and talk to someone uh, or read a, a book that... that connects with you in a special way but some way you need something to speak into your life and help you figure out how to proceed from that point and that's kind of what we're looking at here we're peeking we're outsiders peeking in uh, at this letter that's deeply personal uh, that's meant to that's meant to encourage the, this group and to motivate them um, but despite the fact that it's deeply personal there are there are, there's so much that we can learn this too is the word of god God works through these kind of things, and we can look at that. Um, in fact, the Bible is wonderful in its diversity because the diversity gives us a whole cross-section so we know how God works and understands and how we should react in different situations. And that's what we have here. So a couple examples of, of how this could be misconstrued, um, not just this passage, but the letter as a whole. The first one that, I, that I always comes to mind for this is the focus is on this group. It's internal. The focus is an external. So he says things like, love one another. And if, if you don't love the brothers and sisters, that's the end of our passage. You're not of God. Uh, those kind of things. And I, I, I listen to that and I think about the words of Jesus who said, if you love those who love you, what good is that? Love those who are your enemies. And then you're truly of God, to paraphrase what he said. And so you look at those two and you think, oh, they're diametrically opposed. John's just saying, love each other. And Jesus said, 
love each other. That's just in-group stuff. Think about those outside yourself. Love, it's easy to love someone who loves you back. Try to love someone who doesn't love you back. Right? And so you, if, you, if you just take them at face value, you say, well, I've got to start ripping parts of my Bible out or something. Maybe I need a black pen to... Which one do you X out, though? The passage you know, that Jesus spoke or the one that you know, Papa John's writing to these guys? I mean, who's... Etc. And we start playing those kind of games and it's not helpful. And realizing that for that group at that moment in time, what they needed to do was focus on regrouping and rediscovering their faith and reconnecting with those who were, who were remaining. And at certain times in our life, that's the important thing to do. There are times in our life we just have to stop and we have to, whether it's with a family or whether, you know, whatever the situation is, you just have to stop and uh, learn to reconnect and re-love those who are around you. And you simply don't have the energy to go beyond that. There are other times when you, you know, you're, everything's great and you've got your in-click and everything's fine. And then the words of Jesus saying, you know, start looking more outward. Speak to us much more directly. And so don't just keep everything with your in-click and those who are, you're comfortable with. Stretch yourself. Reach out to people who need to be reached out to. And so both of them are important in that context. Right, so that's one example. We don't have time to go over all the examples uh, but just talking about the idea of context, I, I, I made up a, a story uh, that I'd, I'd like to tell you that sort of uh, illustrate this, this idea of, of context. So there was a young mother, hopefully I remember the story I made up. Uh, there was a young mother who, uh, you know, she had a, had a daughter, I don't know what age, you, you picked the, the appropriate age, uh, old enough to walk around and understand. Uh, but, you know, she's, they're, in a, they're in a friend's backyard, and there's a, there's a fish pond there that was just newly installed by this friend. And, and her, she knows her daughter loves fish. And so she says, come over here, come over here, come, come see the fish. And her daughter comes very carefully and tentatively and stands way back. And, you know, she can't even see the fish. And her mother says, come on, come closer, look. There's fish in here. You love fish. Uh, and the daughter inches up, and she's so scared. She says, I'm scared, Mommy. Um, and her mother thinks, you know, what's, what's wrong with her? But what the daughter is thinking, well, the mother's already forgotten it, and, you know, as parents we do this, is that a couple weeks before they'd been out at the pier, and uh, her daughter was, when they got there, went charging out to the end of the pier because she wanted to see the fish, right? Right to the edge, you know, right at the edge, and then suddenly there's, whatever, 15 feet of water below her. And her mother yelled at her, Watch out! Back up! And one on the drive home said, You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. You could have fallen in and drowned. So what is true? Come on, come on. There's fish. Come see it. Come right to the edge. Or step back. Be careful. Like which of the mother's words were correct? Well, both were, right? Because it depended on what was going on. Now, maybe she overreacted at the pier, but mothers do that, Right? I should look at my kids, not my wife, when I say that. Fathers are much more even-keeled. No, no, give your mother a hug right now if she's anywhere in the vicinity. Um, but you, you get the idea, right? Context matters. You can't just take her one set of words. Could you imagine if we, that was, you know, the scripture we're reading, and we say to everyone, you've got to get back from the water. Never look at water, you know. And could you imagine baptisms? Everyone's way over here. Oh, the Bible says stay away from the water, you know, because you could fall in and drown. Context is everything. Knowing why the words were spoken then tells us they're always applicable, just not in every situation. 
And the same is true in this letter of 1 John. So let's look at, uh, as we work our through, let's, let's, let's uh, remind ourselves of some of, the, of some of the things that were there before and, and uh, so we can transition to the next slide here. I gave Lucas a copy of my notes and he doesn't know where I am in them right now, but he's doing a great job. Thank you. So there are, there are a couple things. This is not in our passages, but I want to remind us, because as I was thinking about the passages we looked at and uh, that were read this morning by Pastor Norbert, as I said, we're not going to get to work through those step by step. So if after uh, you know, the service today you want to go back and look at those, it would be, probably be helpful. But I want to remind us, before we step into there, remind us a little bit of those verses and uh, what was going on beforehand. And, and see how we can manage this. So the first one is to remind us of what we read in eight. It said this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And the next one, uh, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Remember when Pastor Norb was pointing out the liar portions? John likes this word actually a lot. Liar. Uh, it was a different context last time, and he actually uses it a number of different ways, but he's very concerned about lies and those who tell them. Uh, that's, again, that's about the context, uh, and I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit more as we go along. Uh, but if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, how does that correspond to the passage we were just looking at and that we're going to be looking at today? Um, that says, no one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has either seen him or known him. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we, we haven't sinned, if we say we don't sin, if we say we never fail, we're liars. <laughs> But, if there's any sin in us, we're not of God. I mean, what do we... Right? You, you, you see the tension there? It's like that story of the mother. I mean, do we go close to the water or back from the water? What is it we're supposed to have happen here? And this is, this is, the, the, this is what I want to unpack uh, today. And then to remind us of, of some other things uh, that were also said that we need to hold close as we look at this passage that are also true, it's this, in verse 9. In chapter 1, we had also read, If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins. As well in two one, Whenever anyone does sin, we have an advocate. And, you know, it, I'm, just, I'm just giving brief ones. So it basically says this, if I can summarize it this way. We will sin. We will fail. We will mess up. And to claim we haven't, or to claim we never will, or to claim uh, that we don't, is a lie. Further, the teaching is that when and if we do fail, forgiveness is there through Jesus. So, John's already laid out, look, it's, you're going to trip up, it's fine. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's why Jesus came. Uh, as someone expressed it once, you don't have to get clean to have a bath, and we often are doing that. 
You know, that's the idea of the Christian life. I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. And you, so then you try and look perfect to people around you. You know, you come to church and you, you look very perfect. You know, the person beside you says, well, you look different somehow. You know, oh, yeah, that's right. I know who you really are. Um, you know, and we somehow think we've got to look perfect. And this is, no, no, no. You're, you're not perfect. Uh, you're on a journey. And you will fail, but when you do, we've got an advocate. We've got someone who goes to the Father and says, took care of it. Uh, and so one of the important things there to note is to not dwell on it. We send, tend to focus and dwell on it and beat ourselves up and sin. You know, and you, if I had a whip, I could beat myself as, as if somehow that's what we're supposed to do, beat ourselves up. And I, don't, I didn't read that anywhere in John so far. I don't know if Pastor Norb, you picked that up. The part where it says, thou shalt beat thyself after sinning and then ask for forgiveness. Uh, but just, you, you got you to gotta learn to let it go. And Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 5 that might be helpful uh, for us. And I, I've paraphrased this here. And so I put it as this. The grace of God is available to all through Jesus. When we fail miserably the grace of God becomes even more abundantly available. I mean, isn't that great? It's just this picture of you can't, you can't out whatever God, and it's not giving. I wasn't sure how to, how to phrase that. And I'm, you know, I didn't have that in my notes, so I better be careful here. But the more you sin, Paul says, the more God's grace is, is at work. If, so if you're really having a struggle, God's grace is just covering you and buoying you up and taking you through it. So, more failure equals the experience of more grace. It's a great passage. But humans are interesting creatures. And I'm one of those too. We always are looking for the loopholes, right? And that's probably why you always find these, these almost opposites in the Scripture. You know, you read this and it says this. You go, oh, okay, well, I can, I can do this. Oh, no, can't do that. I can, you know, or I can go here or whatever. We're always looking for some loophole or excuse, right? Um, things that are meant to be encouraging and helpful, we try to take as, as law or legalistic. And we, 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 you know, we place them on ourselves and we place them on other people. We're funny that way. We, we try to lock ourselves up and get out of the cage simultaneously. We look for excuses as to why we can do whatever we want. And then we also look for reasons to beat ourselves up and to beat up those around us and and make sure they're towing the line. And it's just, I don't know what it is about human nature, but it just seems, you know, you, I, and I, I know that because I've worked in, in uh, I've worked with young people especially, and I, I, I remember sitting on multiple, uh, in multiple meetings where, you know, discussions, whether it's in the church, but, you know, particularly at, at you know, Bible colleges too. I mean, I know, it surprised you, kids that go to Bible college have struggles, and what I find interesting is there's always this attempt to create a bureaucracy that will somehow plug all the holes so that, if it, you know, well, so-and-so did this, and he said there's nothing in the book that says he can't do that. And so then, well, we need to make a rule that does, says that, right? And I would always fight against it. Like, we can't, you can't plug all the holes. You can't make enough rules to stop everything. We'll always find a way around it. Um, you know, it's not about legalism, and certainly grace is a part of that. But when you say something like Paul said here, or like John has said in chapters 1 and 2, people take that to go... I can do whatever I want, right? And Paul probably experienced that same attitude in Romans chapter 6 immediately following this passage. Uh, and he says something like this, and, and again, I paraphrase it. Um, 
but immediately saying this, this statement here, the grace of God becomes abundantly more available. He then says something like this. What did you say? And again, this is my paraphrase. We should keep on failing because God's grace will be so abundant? Absolutely not. Right? And so Paul, like Papa John, is wrestling with this human nature issue where he's just said, look, it's not about beating yourself up. When you fail and you're going to, God's there. And go, oh, I want to fail all the time. No, you're missing the point, Paul says. You're missing the point. And I can see his exasperation as he's, as he's trying to... Uh, and here it's likely that he's imagining the situation, not that it's actually been said, but that he's imagining it. Uh, um, I've, I've paraphrased it in such a way that it makes it sound like someone said it to help us think about it in that way. But the passage in First John is dealing with the same kind of scenario. So there's been a teaching that in the terms of the context, there's been a teaching that's been passed around that declared that we can live however we please, that God doesn't care what we do with our bodies. Uh, Live however you want. It's not a sin. There's nothing that's a sin. In fact, sin doesn't even exist in the way in which we've been taught. That's the sort of thing that was being taught before. And so Grandpa John or Papa John has to carefully work through this human maze of Okay, I know I said these things. Uh, but just before we proceed any further, let me, let me just remind us again of what is true. Because we need to remember this as we move into the next section. We, we, have, to, we have to carry this with us. So before we pre- proceed any further, I want us to remember this is true. We will sin. And whenever we do, God is there to pick us up in love and forgiveness. That's a truth that we need to have at the core as we transition our way into chapter 3. It remains true. Don't forget it as we move into the next section of 1 John. Uh, Nonetheless, once he's set this up, and if we've got this in our minds, and it's actually, if you may have noticed, if you've been reading through 1 John, it's actually fairly repetitive. It said the same thing several times already. It just takes us a while to get it. Uh, And so he switches gears, and now he's going to highlight something that is also true. Uh, Of course, depending on the context and what's going on in your your life. And so doing, we move from uh, what I would call Papa John that we've experienced so far into a a person that I'm now calling Trainer John. And I've got a, a fake image of Trainer John up here. And if anyone's listening to this tape, I apologize. You can't see the images that, uh, that are going to be from here on out. And I'm going to use images to try and depict stuff rather than a lot of words. I'll use words, but you'll see images. You remember the ongoing cycle that Corey Anderson talked about if you were here? That, you know, there's, there's a child stage and there's an adolescent stage and there's an adult stage. And as Christians, in a spiritual sense... We're constantly cycling through that. There are times we're just like children and we need someone to give us direction. And then there are times that we're adolescents and we're, we need to experience things and, and, and test things out. And then there are times as adults when we, we know who God really is. Um, and that this is a cycle that's constantly working through. And Trainer John um, has now switched gears and is, he's, he's switching from encouraging and telling us, okay, this is true. You need to know this is true. I need to encourage you. To now he needs to push us a little bit. 
right? Uh, and actually, there's a, some parallels with this, you know, as, as the picture would even depict with the kind of New Year's resolutions that we all make, you know, and I'm sure some of you made, I'm gonna, I want to look like Trainer John when I'm done this year. Well, not all of you, um, <clears throat> hopefully. I won't say any more about that. But there are parallels, and actually, uh, uh, you know, Corey talked about, about New Year's resolutions as well, and I can't remember his stats. I didn't write them down, but according to the stats, I can't see where they're... Uh, Corey, are you here this, this morning? Not that I want to point out, but he could remind us. Oh, you're over here. There you are. I thought you used to sit back there, but maybe you guys move around. But uh, you got to stay in one place. Um, so according to now, we're, we're, we're what? How many weeks, three weeks past New Year's? You know, especially if you did it on the first, we're, we're, we're pretty much at that point. Um, so what? 60 to 80% is it of, of those who set New Year's resolutions have now abandoned them? Would that be about right based on the stats? Yeah, he's nodding, so that's a good. So let me encourage you with that. You know? I mean, discourage you with that. So if you made a New Year's resolution, 60 to 80% of you have now abandoned that resolution. Well, actually, I want to... Uh, and that, I, I myself, you know, Corey actually shared that he, I don't know how much, it was hard to tell. He's got a good sense of humor, but it's like me. Sometimes you're not sure when he's being serious and when he's being funny. So he said, you know, he likes to, uh, his resolution would be, I'll think about getting in shape or doing something. You know, that's my resolution. I'm going to start thinking about it. That's actually not a bad way to start if he was seriously saying that. Um, but sometimes these stats and this kind of talk can discourage us and, we, and we, we start thinking, why bother setting goals and why make New Year's resolutions? And so I want to make some comments on that because that becomes very critical to what uh, Trainer John is trying to push us through here. So if you set goals to improve yourself, you are going to fail. Is that encouraging too? Well, it should be because it's real. And in fact, knowing this, for our, uh, our resolutions can be very helpful. If you set goals, you are going to fail. It doesn't matter if those are New Year's resolutions or goals you set at any other time. It's not, you're not going to be able to stick to them immediately. You're not going to say, I want to change my behavior starting now. And suddenly, it miraculously changes. Uh, however, the only way to change is to set a goal and to start. To keep it, if only for a day or a week, we will change, we will reach our goals by not quitting permanently. So we need to recognize, okay, if I start something, I'm probably not going to be able to finish it right away. I'm probably going to, you know, I'm going to do this now and then we do it for a week and then we don't. That's fine. You did it for a week is the point there. It takes constant ongoing doing until we're able to change a lifetime of habits so set a goal for a year. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't have to be a New Year's resolution. I actually was reflecting. I like the idea in our society that we, every year we, we at least tell ourselves to think about doing things as opposed to, you know, never make it and say, well, I'll just, I'll just make a resolution when I feel like it. And suddenly 30 years passed and you go, what in the world happened here? I was going to make a resolution sometime in there. So at least January reminds us, think about thinking about stuff. So, so set, a, set a goal. Follow it through. As much as you're able. Set the goal again the next year. Follow it through again as much as you can. Set it every month, whenever you want. And this will produce change. On the opposite side, if we don't set goals, well, 
you're always going to succeed, right? You'll never actually reach the goal that you don't set. So that could be encouraging, I suppose, but hopefully not. Right? And, and so here's the point. If you can let go of the unhelpful guilt, and I've got to beat myself up because I didn't stick through this through, if you can say, I'm going to start it again then, and again, and again, you will eventually change your behavior and change the way you live. And in the course of this, having a personal trainer, I don't know how many of you have the money to afford a personal trainer, but having a personal trainer can help tremendously. Why? Because you've got someone who can be there to, to, uh, to push you on your goals. Um, so can having a friend uh, to work with, someone who, who you can share with and you can encourage each other. And, uh, you know, Pastor Norb has talked multiple times about the idea of triads that are encouraged by this church. Find, you know, two other people who can partner with you to help set goals in your life and to help meet those goals. Now, the real problem in the Christian life is that we often live with guilt that immobilizes us. It freezes us up, right? Because we beat ourselves up, uh, we end up defeating ourselves. The way we do resolutions is the same thing. I'm going to live the way God wants me to. And then you don't, and you, well, fine, I'll, I, I, you almost want, you're ready to give up, right? Or beat yourself. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I mean, what does that help? Right? You know, maybe I'll understand that I'm not brilliant, which is true. You know, we all have our failings. But it doesn't help me accomplish anything. And yet that seems to be the model that we have. Beat yourself up. Tell yourself you're nothing. And that's because we often picture Trainer John like this. And I've got an image for it uh, that's up there. Right? And this is how we see tra- Trainer John, right? Screaming us. And, he, and so I'm going to read some of the passages that, that are in, in, in our section here. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. In him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either known him or seen him. Everyone who commits a sin is a child of the devil. Woo! And I feel good, right? And that's what we picture. We picture someone screaming at us and telling us, you're no good. You didn't measure up. You failed. And I think a more helpful picture would be something like this person here. See, that's Trainer John right there. He's not screaming at us, but at the same time, he's trying to get us to make some changes in our lives. You got the basics there. Okay, you're going to sin. God's forgiveness is there. But that doesn't mean that's the pattern. That's not the goal. The goal is is to work beyond that. The goal is to have less and less time when the grace of God has to be poured out on your life. But if it happens, then, then so be it. You don't need to feel guilty for God's grace being poured out on you. But Trader John says, let's go. Come on. You can do it. You've got it in you. Look who you are, as he says in this passage. You're children of God. You've been born of God. In him is love. In you is love. Stop making excuses. Stop beating yourself up. Stop beating other people up. Stop thinking like that. It's true, he says. Those who continually practice hate are living in a world of hate. This is a world the devil loves and lives in. Those who love sinning, sinning, those who love sinning, who revel in it, live in a different world. It's not the world of God. It's not the world that God pictures for us. 
It's not the world God pictures for you. God is your father. You've been born into a new family. Look how far you went that last time before you fell. Come on, let's get up. That's it. Keep going. Let's do it some more. That's the trainer, John, that we need to hear as we, as we uh, reflect on those passages that he has given to us. Now, I know I've softened it up a little bit um, because for me it's too easy for us to fall back into the screaming, beating up image that we have. And the words are a little stronger in the passage that we read, but the idea that we need to have, I think, is pictured in this image here. And, it, I mean, it's true. A personal trainer is going to push their clients on. So as we wrap up this morning, and our time is, uh, is now done, let me say this. Let Trainer John encourage you right now, and in the next week, and in the next month, and in the next year. And I've, I've picked three different phrases that I, I, I've said these are good phrases for us to say to ourselves as we're, as we're working towards that goal that God has set for us. And it's true. The Bible says, be holy, for I am holy. That's a great goal that we want to set for ourselves. But remember that all that other stuff is true as well. You're not going to get there right away. So try these phrases out. The first one I have is, that's not what I am about anymore. When you find yourself in a situation that you know is contrary to what you should be in, um, you know, don't, again, it's not about beating yourself up. Why did I end up here? Um, I'm not about that anymore. Or another one. I'm living differently now. I'm living differently now. You know, just say that as you encounter that situation. Remind yourself. That's what he's doing. You're children of God, he says. This isn't who you are. This isn't who you need to be. Or the last one, and this is uh, you know, along the same lines, but this is, I think, probably the best one that we, to end with, is, and that is not who I am. So whether it's someone who comes up to you and says, why don't you do that anymore? You go, you know, you don't need to beat them up and say, well, you're in sin and you're of the devil and I'm not going to be part of that. Just say something like this. That's, that's just not who I am anymore. You know, in fact, have you ever thought, or whatever the transition could be, but you could be an encourager like Trainer John rather than a discourager and a beater. That's not who I am anymore. And so as we, as we think about this push that Trainer John has given us in this passage, uh, hopefully we can evoke some of these thoughts and this will help us as we move forward again today, in the next week, in the next month. Uh, let me just encourage you, uh, live as children of God because that's who you are. And in the whole process, he's with you.